Mud Stories, Episode 8. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place relationships are an acceptable addiction in our culture because God made us for relationships. So, I mean, He wants us. It's the abuse of relationships. It's the need for for that to be our source of contentment and happiness. I mean, that's what Christ is for. But, I mean, I didn't know how to make Christ my all in all. So, my relationship was that. And that's why nobody really can recognize relationship addiction. That's what I was addicted to. I mean, I was a love junkie. I used men like a drug. And Um, If I didn't get my fix with one, I I ran to another. And it's so hard to identify because relationships are a good thing, but used to the excess, just like anything else, you know, it's an addiction. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey friends, welcome back to the Mud Stories podcast. I'm so very glad you're here. Today I'm talking with Christy Johnson, a certified life coach, writer, and inspirational speaker who advocates for each of us to develop healthy souls within our relationships, because Christy knows the pain and chaos that accompanies toxic ones. After a disastrous first marriage filled with addiction and adultery, and also the tragic death of her two-and-a-half-year-old son, Christy has found beauty on the other side of brokenness. Christy lives in Oklahoma with her husband, John, and as a soul health advocate, her mission is to help us identify roots of bitterness, to maintain joy in the midst of our adversity, and to develop drama-free habits to help us improve our relationships. I'm so happy that you're here to hear this conversation that I had with Christy because many of these topics are so near and dear to my heart and are related to my personal time in the mud. And this conversation with Christy was so rich that I have divided it into a part one episode and next week we will hear part two. And so in this part one episode today, we will discuss Christy's dysfunctional relationship with her father, how often we can use relationships to get our validation and approval, the dangers of comparison, and how it's so important that we captivate our thoughts, how sometimes unrealistic expectations can set us up to fail. We discuss the process of how affairs begin, and also how God works in and through our past if we choose to surrender it to him. Enjoy. Hi, Christy. Welcome to Mud Stories Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Jackie. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Well, we've not actually ever met before, but Shannon Etheridge introduced you to me and made me aware of all that you're doing to share your story and your message with the world. And I'm so excited because I think it's a message, this love junkies message that will really resonate with so many people. And I'm so thrilled to be talking to you today so we can aim to bring more awareness to this ever so important issue that I think so many times we don't really even realize we have or ever, you know, talk about. So 
Thanks for joining me. I am so glad Shannon introduced us. I know. And when I was a love junkie, I didn't know that I didn't know. I mean, I was clueless. Yeah, I think many of us are. So let's start at the very beginning. Tell us about your background, your upbringing, how your mud story began. Well, Jackie, as a young girl, um, my father was not an affectionate man. He grew up in the Depression, and I honestly cannot remember a time where he ever said, I love you. And so I grew up with this longing for a relationship, and I I just thought as soon as I was old enough to date that I was going to find the guy that was going to fill all the longings that I had. He was going to be my source of identity, my uh, source of affection and approval, and um You know, as I grew up, too, I had so many insecurities from the voices that the things that my father would tell me. Now, I know he didn't mean to say these things to to discourage me, but um, Mm -hmm. I can remember whenever I expressed dreams and desires, he he would say, well, you can't do that. And so I grew up thinking that there was something wrong with me because other people had dreams and desires, but apparently there was something wrong with me. And Mm. Whenever he, whenever I would express any kind of negative emotion, fear, rejection, anger, or loneliness, my dad would say, you shouldn't feel that way. And so again, I grew up feeling like normal people never felt lonely or angry or rejected mm. or sad. And, and so I learned to stuff those emotions, Jackie. I learned to hide them and pretend like they didn't exist because I wasn't supposed to feel that way. Hmm. And it took me years to figure out that that's the way the Holy Spirit speaks to us is often, not every time, but he uses our emotions and our internal instinct, that gut feeling inside of us to speak to us. But I had learned to push that aside for so long. Well, and I'm guessing it wasn't his intention to for that to be the result. But just unbeknownst to him, he was, you know, maybe had an idealistic view of how you should be or really wanted you to perform or excel, maybe. I think he was trying to spare me from disappointment. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, in the, I don't know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said they always heard their father say, if you're going to cry, go to your room. In other words, they didn't want to be around those negative emotions. So I didn't learn how to process them. Mm. And I learned to ignore my inner instinct. And so when it came time to date, mm-hmm. I mean, everything I learned about love and romance, I learned by watching The Love Boat. And <laughs> I love I love The Love Boat. I used to watch that on Saturday nights, uh, you know, growing up. And um, Julie, the cruise director, <laughs> was, was a hysterical show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. I'd, I'd see women go on the boat with one guy, and in the course of a five or a seven day cruise, they broke up with him and they met somebody else. I mean, that was <laughs> right? my standard for romance. And I thought that's the way it was going to happen in my life. So as soon as I got old enough to date, I, oh my gosh, I dated so many guys because I was so insecure. I needed a relationship for that approval and affirmation. And I, I always had another guy on the line because, oh my gosh, what if the first one? you know, rejected me, I had to have a backup plan. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't know there was anything wrong with that. And then when I got married, I thought, this is it. I'm, I'm good for life. You know, my, my marriage is going to be my source of identity and is my man is going to meet all of my needs. And (laughs) we, we all know how that goes, right? (laughs) (laughs) Didn't take me long. No, to learn that, well, first of all, my husband was allergic to work. 
That's hilarious. Oh, goodness. What a gracious way to say that. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, my father, he was not an emotional, he wasn't emotionally available to me, but he was a good provider. And I just assumed Mm -hmm. that since my dad was, so would my husband. And I didn't know to look for evidence of that kind of character trait in a guy. And I just assumed that he'd be a good provider. And so every day when he didn't get up and go to work, he was in sales so he could call his own hours. I, I just got angrier every day. And I stored all this anger inside of me. And I was a Christian. I knew I was supposed to forgive, but honestly, I didn't have a clue how. Yeah. And so I, again, because I didn't know that, I, you know, I stuffed those emotions. I just stuffed them inside. And eventually what we stuff, it comes out. And eventually I exploded. I mean, I, I didn't set out to have an affair in my marriage, but, um, I mean, an affair begins in the mind, Jackie. Oh, believe me, I do know. Now, before we go forward on that, I want to go back to what you were talking about, about the serial relationships and how we sometimes, you know, always have that guy on the wings, you know, always are looking for that high of the newness of a relationship. And um, my patients at the hospital are having babies. I meet them when they're in labor. And I can't tell you over half, if not three quarters of the women that I take care of are not married. They're maybe in a serial relationship where they're having a child with a different guy and not committed. And I think this thing that you're talking about, about serial relationships and just needing that attention and affection, like it's almost a relationship addiction, really Mm -hmm. is so common and actually so accepted in society right now. And I think it isn't, don't you think that there's a lie that women believe that or even men too. I mean, maybe this isn't an issue that's only for women, but the lie that you can find that ultimate satisfaction in a relationship like that. And if you don't get it in one, you just go to the next and it's this avoidance of dealing with your own issues inside and and displaying them with outward behavior. Speak to that a little bit. Well, it is so. Relationships are an acceptable addiction in our culture because well, I mean, we God made us for relationships. So, mm-hmm. I mean, He wants us. It's the abuse of relationships. It's the um, the need for for that to be our source of contentment and happiness. I mean, that's what Christ is for. But I mean, I didn't know how to make Christ my all in all. So, my mm-hmm. relationship was that. And you know, it it's an acceptable form of. That's why nobody really can recognize relationship addiction. That's what I was addicted to. Um, I mean, I was a love junkie. I used men like a drug and. Mm. Um, if I didn't get my fix with one, I, I ran to another. And it's so hard to identify because relationships are a good thing, but used to the excess, just like anything else, you know, it's an addiction. It's gluttony. It's yeah. I love how you called it serial relationships. And that's what happens to, to so many women that when a relationship doesn't satisfy their needs, they think the answer is another relationship when in reality, Mm -hmm. God uses relationships to expose some things in us that need to be refined or need to be dealt with. But instead of dealing with that society, the standards of this world have taught us it's easier to just break up or get a divorce and Mm -hmm. move on to the next guy. Well, because that prevents us from feeling the painful change and growth that occurs when we get real with our own selves. Mm -hmm. And and it's that grass is greener kind of mentality. You know, I'm going to jump over to that lawn instead of water the lawn in my own yard, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And, and, and I think 
sometimes the issues are so deep and profound from maybe our childhood or for our young, from our young adulthood or the decisions we made along the way, it really feels maybe insurmountable or at the least just plain difficult to really examine our own hearts like that, to really mm-hmm. get real with ourselves. And so it's a way of medicating. Relationships become a way of medicating the pain that we don't want to deal with. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly what my affairs were. They were a way to medicate the pain. And I mean, my first affair, like I said earlier, I mean, I didn't set out to have an affair, but it started in my mind. I started telling myself things like, Mm -hmm. I deserve better than this. You know, I'd be happy if if he would change. You know, he's Mm -hmm. the reason I'm miserable and I deserve a man that will provide for his family. And yes, that was true. But the reality was that until I surrendered those angry, bitter thoughts, you know, I was just putting toxicity into my own body. Um, Yeah. Our thoughts really determine our behavior in the end. Um, I think the power of our thought life is really underestimated. And I know for me, in, in my experience, my mud story, you know, I thought my thoughts were innocuous. They were not a problem whatsoever, that they weren't beginning anything that was going to be a complication in my life. And it, there's just nothing that was farther from the truth. Yeah. As we think in our heart, the Bible says, so shall we be. Mm-hmm. And we will go in the direction of our most prevalent thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, our thoughts create a feeling and a feeling creates an action. And so if we want to redirect our destiny, yep. action creates a habit, habits create a destiny. Yep. And, but I didn't know all that. I was just brewing in all this anger. And then to medicate my pain, I resorted to another relationship. And, and amazingly, after my first affair, um, it was while I was out of town on a business trip. Um, I got up the next morning to get ready for work and popped some Advil because I had a big hangover. (laughs) (laughs) And put some eye drops in and I looked in the mirror, Jackie, and instead of looking in the mirror and being disgusted with what I had done, I actually smiled. Because that anger was gone. I didn't realize that that affair was like an anesthesia to me. It um, it medicated my pain. And I felt good for the first time in a couple of years. And I was like, wow. I felt so justified and entitled. Like, mm-hmm. if he had have been a better husband, this wouldn't have happened. It's all his fault. I mean, I completely excused my behavior. Now, let's talk about, because I'm guessing there might be many people listening who actually haven't had a physical affair, like you and I have. But let's talk about the other kind of affairs that we can have in our mind, because I think those kind of affairs are so much more common. Uh, you know, let's talk about how we le- how what gets us there. You know, our thought life, mm-hmm. emotional connections, mm-hmm. uh, material that we read, books we immerse ourselves in, fantasies, dream, a dream world that we create, you know, on and on it goes. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not just only. A physical affair. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, I've got a chapter in my book called Mind Affairs. And that's exactly, I mean, a mind affair is just as dangerous as a physical affair. In fact, Jesus, you know, in the Old Testament, the ten, one of the Ten Commandments was, thou shall not commit adultery. But in the New Testament, Jesus held us to a higher standard when he said, um, don't lust after anyone in your heart, like even just lusting in your heart. And for women, we may not lust physically for a relationship like men so often do. But we more tend to lust after the emotional needs being met. And, right. and that fantasy of wanting a new man or, you know, those flirtations that we entertain in our mind, those are, you know, adultery in our mind. And those are wrong. It causes us to treat our husband 
differently. It causes us to um, get involved in, you know, a, go to a place that we're not supposed to go. Well, it makes us vulnerable and susceptible to feeding into a pattern of living that becomes unhealthy and unsafe in the end, I think. Well, even women that are um, on Match.com and eHarmony, and, and I have nothing against any of those websites. I met my husband on a telephone dating service before internet dating services were even around. So, I mean, I think that used wisely, they're a very great way to meet people. So I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm saying, but I've seen a lot of women before they've even had a chance to meet the guy, they, they entertain all these fantasies about what this guy's really like just by his words or his texts. And the really, the only way to evaluate somebody is to see them in person over a period of time and especially you want to see how they respond to adversity because anyone can act totally fine when everything's going their way. But what's on the inside of somebody will eventually come out when pressure is applied. You know, how do they respond when they get angry? Do they need anger management or do they have a soft answer? You know, do they gossip? How do they talk about their mom? That's probably going to be the way they talk about you someday. Right. So, but so much of that is missing when we allow fantasy or our imagination to overtake reality. And that's so, so much easier to do with online dating. Well, and even beyond online dating for those people who are married, I think it can start as small as comparing your husband in your mind to someone else's husband. Like, oh, well, look at her husband helps with the kids or right. her husband cleans so nicely or helps with the dishes or you know, washes her car for her. It's no problem. He doesn't complain about watching the kids or being with the kids. You know, these little ways that we talk to our own selves set us up to be more dissatisfied than we actually need to be because we don't stop those thoughts and focus mm -hmm. on the positive because everybody mm -hmm. has positives and everybody has negatives. And I think in marriage, it can be even as small as that, how our thought life can take off. And, and take us to a place where we will never intend to have gone. You're so right. Comparison is so deadly because we don't usually compare our husbands to people that we think are less than ours. We typically, I don't know, for me, um, I tend to compare um, and highlight other men's crowning glory compared to mine. And, and to me, that's, that's dishonoring my husband and mm -hmm. my thoughts because it comes out in the way I treat him. Absolutely. Um, You'll like, he, he might not even know what happened. All of a sudden you're huffing and rolling your eyes and yeah. the poor guy has no idea that he's, you, he's being compared to this gold standard ideal person that you filtered out all the bad flaws in him <laughs> to compare <laughs> or just only the good part. Right. So, sure. you know, I think our husband sometimes is like, what is her problem? Like what just happened right now? And it's really something that as women, we have a lot of power over. And and it could be the case for men, too. I mean, I'm sure men compare their wives to other women, you know, and wish, well, men's situations and struggles are different than women's. I think we can find some commonalities in capturing our thoughts and really choosing to see things from positive light and to really try to grow in our relationships instead of hinder them by our silent thinking. Mm -hmm. I can remember a time too, after I was married um, to John, who John and I've been married for 15 years, but you know, just cause you're married doesn't mean you're never going to find another guy attractive, but yeah. And that was a mistake that I believed. 
I, I believed that I, it just had never occurred to me that I would be attracted to anyone other than my spouse. And it caught me way off guard. So I'm glad you're bringing that up. Yeah, the first time it happened to me, um, there was um, a couple at church that we really liked. And the man was um, very attractive to me. He was my MO, the kind of guy that I was normally attracted, that my flesh was attracted to. Mm-hmm. Tall, dark, handsome, very charming and witty and charismatic. And um, we're really good friends. But one day I dropped off my daughter um, at church for dance and he was standing at the door and he walked up to my car to say hello. And I just, this big smile spread across my face and, and we flirted for just a second. And, you know, I liked it. And mm. I just instantly felt like, you know, something inside of me. I just, I told my husband, I said, I told him how I felt because I wanted him to guard me whenever this man was around because, you know, thankfully I had an honest enough relationship with my husband that I could tell him and he wasn't threatened by that. But just the mere confessing of that immediately it was gone. Once I confessed it to my husband, it was like the next time I saw this guy was, I mean, it was gone. But so often when we try to stuff those feelings, that's where they grow and fester. And absolutely. And that was my experience because, uh, you know, I didn't tell a soul. And I think in retrospect, that was the dangerous, you know, dousing of gasoline to the spark of a flame, you know, so to speak, that created the inferno in my life. And now, you know, my husband and I have been married 14 years, and we have this agreement that, you know, if there is someone that we find ourselves attractive to, we, like you're saying, we have committed to speak of it out loud to one another immediately. And I think you're so right. It loses its power. And it's so important to have that kind of open, intimate Mm -hmm. relationship with your spouse. You know, if, if people don't have that, that kind of relationship, it's definitely something that I encourage people to strive toward. Because I think that Um, truth is going to set them free from that. And, and you can hold each other accountable. And if it comes to a place where you say, you know, we just can't hang out around them, or we Mm -hmm. can't be friends with them, because this is too dangerous for me or too Mm -hmm. tempting, you know, then, then that is an option too. you know, because we are tempted by our own, you know, scripture says in James, we are dragged away and enticed by our own evil desire. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's important to put some safeguards in place. And I think what you're speaking of about being honest and telling our spouse out loud, you know, and confessing it, it does lose its power and it's protective. It totally does. And I'm so glad to hear that you do that too. I've never really heard anyone else talk about this subject. Um, but it, it was so powerful for me. It was like instantly, it's like spraying bleach on mold. It just yes. instantly disintegrated. I love that. Those- <laughs> it's such a great picture. <laughs> yeah, just wiped it away. Mm-hmm. And and it might not always wipe it away, but at least there's open communication. I think in, in marriage, when we have secrets, that is where problems begin. Mm-hmm. And um, okay, so take us back. You had your first affair. You were married. Uh, how did, what happened after that? Well, after my first affair, Jackie, you know, I wasn't the promiscuous type. I traded sex for affection. I mean, usually Mm -hmm. it's a trade-off. And, um, after the first affair, the second one was a lot easier because the relief from the pain and anger that I felt, I mean, a couple of weeks of this high, this euphoria from feeling, you know, free, um, from this anger, you know, it didn't last for very long. And so another affair and then 
I found myself involved with a high school sweetheart. And um, about this time, my husband and I were going to marriage counseling because I thought my husband desperately needed help. I mean, I was so <laughs> he was the one that had the problem, right? He was. In my opinion, I was so clueless to my own issues and justified my departure from my morals and standards that um well and not that he didn't have issues I'm sure he did oh yeah you know but yeah it's hard to own our own right exactly I mean yes he he had his share of issues that so did I and I mean we're two wounded people wounding each other but Mm -hmm. so we're going to marriage counseling most of the time it was just me and pastor Dan and I don't know what came over me one day but I told pastor Dan about my affair and um, he gave me some of the worst advice I've ever heard. He said, you need to confess. <laughs> and I, was, I think I told him because I wanted him to see how bad our marriage had gotten. I was like, can't you see how bad, how desperate I am for something? To, can't you fix my husband? Right. And um, anyway, my husband one day had an individual session with Pastor Dan and started having some suspicions. And when he confronted, he could just tell by Pastor Dan's expression that, the answer was, yes, I'm having an affair. And so when he confronted me, I, I couldn't deny the truth, Jackie. And yeah. that was the day I fell flat on my face. It was the worst day of my life. But in actually, in actuality, looking back, I can see that that was the place where Christy finally got to the end of herself. Mm-hmm. And that's where God could finally work with me because there was I had nowhere else to go. Yeah. I had nothing else that would take away this pain. And, and I became desperate for change. And God sent women to me to tell me the truth. They did not console me and say, Oh, I'm so sorry. Your husband's addicted to drugs. I'm so sorry. Your husband's dealing with pornography and he's verbally abusive. Mm -hmm. They didn't coddle me. They said, Christy, you've tried to change him. You cannot change anyone but yourself. Now, how can you respond differently? I mean, these are some pretty bold women that um, they didn't, they didn't coddle me. They told me the truth. And that's what I needed to hear. They they taught me how to um, start putting a guard over my heart and how to, how to, I mean, because until I had a guard over my heart, all the additional disappointments from anger was just going to be piled on what had just, you know, what I was dealing with now. So mm-hmm. first I had to at least put a guard on my heart so I didn't get any more bitterness to deal with so that I could eventually learn how to start walking in forgiveness and setting some boundaries and changing my expectations so that I wasn't Mm -hmm. disappointed every day. And that's so key. That's so key. Changing our expectations. So many of us live in an unrealistic expectation world, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and and we got to get real with ourselves. Mm -hmm. It would help. And and those expectations are just a, a setup for disappointment and bitterness because when our mate, our partner, our boyfriend doesn't meet our expectation, the, the result is disappointment and probably, you know, some bitterness to deal with. And well, and I've heard it said that anger is the result of unmet expectations. Mm-hmm. It, it is. Yeah. So it's no surprise that it leads there. And the unmanaged anger was what led me into the arms of another man. So I went through a long journey of eight years longer in our marriage that that God was showing me through adversity, through conflict, through offenses. He was training me how to forgive. And I'm so glad that somehow I knew that God hadn't released me from the marriage because he was trying to fix Christy. Hmm. But he was using the adversity and the conflict and the offenses to change me. If I had gotten out of that marriage before God was completed with the work that he wanted to do in me, not to say I'm done yet, 
But so often we bail and we're like, we're like an oven. We're like a cake that you take out of the oven when it's halfway done. It may look good on the outside, but as soon as you put your finger in the middle, as soon as pressure is applied, the cake just caves in. And, mm-hmm. you know, the only way to learn forgiveness, Jackie, is to suffer an offense. Yeah. If, if our boyfriend or our spouse never made us angry, we have no reason to forgive. So God was showing me, training me. Well, and and I think we learn how to forgive, like you said, by forgiving. I mean, God helps us to forgive, but it's not easy when we've been hurt. Yeah. And I don't honestly think it's something I can do in my own strength. I think that I choose to forgive and God's grace is sufficient to allow me to. I I mean, there's some little things that can make me the maddest and I just have to choose to overlook an offense. But when I do, the Bible says that's when the glory comes. It's to our glory to overlook an offense. Mm -hmm. Took me a long time to learn how to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think the scary thing is if we give, our fear is that our partner is not going to give equally back to us, that they'll Mm -hmm. just take, 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 and we'll get taken advantage of. And what about my needs? And what about what I want? And what about my satisfaction and my happiness? And so many times the fear of that prevents us from moving forward toward our partner. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so what ended up happening with your marriage? Well, God gave me a promise to hang on to when I started my, what I call my recovery out of relationship addiction, looking for a man for my source of identity and approval. And um, he gave me a scripture that he was doing a new thing. And I I honestly believe that God was going to restore my marriage. I I never considered divorce, but eight years later, after 10 years of marriage, my affairs were discovered two years into my marriage. And Mm -hmm. then another eight years later, my husband unfortunately spiraled further into his addiction and Um, his drug addiction and um, pornography. And we were separated twice, once for a year and once for a year and a half. And unfortunately, after three children and 10 years of marriage, we were divorced. But, you know, I wasn't the same person Mm -hmm. that I used to be. Yeah. You know, I learned so many things about um, what the Apostle Paul said, how to count it all joy, whether I'm living in lack or living in plenty. Yeah. Um, that I had everything that I need for life and godliness. And God had really done a work on me from the inside out. Yeah. Well, because you chose to surrender, mm-hmm. you know, God, God's faithful to show up and provide wisdom and character cultivation when we surrender to him and ask him to do so. Well, that concludes part one of my conversation with Christy. And next week, we will not only continue with the rest of her mud story, which includes the tragic death of her two-and-a-half-year-old son, and also her journey toward healing and remarriage and restoration. But Christy is going to share with us some tips and steps that we can do to help develop healthy souls and healthy relationships. So I hope you'll mark your calendar and join me next week for the rest of my conversation with Christy. And until then, you can find the show notes and all the links mentioned in this episode over at mudstories.com or jackiewatkins.com forward slash episode eight. And thank you so much to those of you who have subscribed to iTunes or have 
left a reviewer rating. I still would love if you have not done that. I know for me, I always am well-intentioned and then I just never get around to checking it off my list. So if you would be so kind as to take a moment and head over to iTunes and leave a rating or review for this show, that would make such a difference in helping others be exposed to mud stories so that they can be encouraged too. So if you want to leave a rating or review, you can get to iTunes through JackieWatkins.com forward slash iTunes. Also, I'd appreciate it so much if you've enjoyed any of these episodes, if you would just tell one friend and share with them about this podcast, it would also make such a difference. Again, thank you so much for listening. I know there are so many things you could be doing today, and yet you chose to be here with me listening to this podcast. And I just can't be more grateful. So thank you all so, so very much for all your support. And so today, no matter what we're facing, where we've been, or what lies ahead, may we all find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. I never in you ever feels a press upon my mind I pull a shame that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I never in you mother feels a press upon my that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you Safer place you are